morning. Um, we've just carrying on with the series on Mark, and uh, before I carry on sharing with you some thoughts about chapter 3, I'd really like to remind ourselves as Mark starts the gospel, when he says that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I think this is the, um, the main idea, the axle of the whole gospel as Mark tries to develop. Because um, when Jesus began his ministry, people saw something different about this guy. They saw that he was teaching with authority, but also that they saw that he was a unique individual. And all of a sudden, they didn't know what to make of him. And when Jesus taught and when Jesus talked to people, he kind of expected a response. And in Mark chapter 3, that's how we find different responses. It's a little bit like when you try to get on your Facebook page and all of a sudden you've discovered that the Facebook account has totally changed and you, you don't know where you are. Um, or it's like that man that one time he decided that he needed to move the piano from the left side, my left hand side, to the right hand side of the church. And he had to bring it to the church meeting, and he had so much opposition, and the church meeting decided to say no. So what he decided is that every Sunday, he would move the piano 30 centimeters until it got to the other place. <laughs> we don't like change. And I think, let's, let's be fair a little bit with the Pharisees. These guys... They were doing their job. They were trying to protect the welfare of the Jewish people, of the Jewish community. And basically, Jesus had such a radical teaching that all of a sudden it ignited a threat. It ignited a threat for two reasons. Because the first one was that all of a sudden there was a shifting of spiritual leadership from these guys who have been doing it for ages, who have worked hard to be in that position, to all of a sudden, Jesus. And he comes up with a teaching about the kingdom. And secondly, let's all remember that the law and the rules around the law was their baby. Something that they had worked out. Now, whether they were right or wrong, Jesus is going to point that out. But let's keep in mind that all of a sudden, these guys that have been teaching people for many, many years, all of a sudden, they are hit by a big threat. And Jesus says, this is the good news, the gospel. The Son of God has come. Now, all of a sudden, there is a natural friction here. Because I don't want to sound bad about Pharisees, but you've got this man-made religion versus 
the freedom of the kingdom of God. And there is a big clash. Now, Jesus is going to point the problem. And then he is going to be resistant about the attitude. And he starts on his attitude. And he starts with the Sabbath. We, we, we've covered it on chapter 2 about the disciples eating. And Jesus brings them to the scriptures. And then he asks them the question, you know, the Sabbath is made for men, not the man for Sabbath. And then all of a sudden, there was Sabbath, the gathering in the synagogue. And you've got one man. The, um, <clears throat> the ESV says, with a withered hand. And Jesus says to him, come here. And then looks at the Pharisees and says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Of course, for the Pharisees, the rule was that you can save somebody's life if he is in danger of dying. Otherwise, leave it for Sunday. And I was reading a little bit about this. I read in one place that they said that if a wall had fallen into a person and there was enough rubble removed from his face to see whether he was breathing or he was okay, then you could have left it there and not touch it until the next day because it was considered work. Now, the irony of this is that in one, in one side we've got Jesus who is approaching a man and saying, I want to heal you. I want to bring God's goodness of the Sabbath into your life. And here you've got the wickedness of this guy saying, oh, you can't do that because it's Sabbath. And there are two ironies here. First of all, they're talking to the person who has made the law about Sabbath. And secondly... For Jesus to tell him, be healed, it wasn't work because he just used the words. Do you see the friction? Men made religion and the freedom of grace in God's kingdom. Now, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees because he wants them to realize that their efforts to try and please God may be valid, but they're not necessarily the right path to follow. The third irony, I said there are two, but there are three actually, is that as much as Jesus was not doing work on the Sabbath, 
because he was using words, all of a sudden, after the healing has happened, what have we got? We've got the Pharisees going and making an alliance with the Herodians, who just really wanted the Roman power to carry on. They had nothing in common apart from having Jesus as their enemy. But they, you can't heal a man, but you can kill a man on the Sabbath. And that's why Jesus has to be harsh. And we don't see him very, in many occasions like this in the Gospels. But it says, and he looked around at them with anger and grieved at the hardness of their heart. It's very clear that in chapter 3 we've got different demands of people. We've got the demands of the Pharisees and scribes. We've got the demands of those who followed him. That's why Jesus had to take a boat because he was really being followed by the crowds. But also we've got the demands of the family. At one stage, they say to him, you're mad, and it was all his relatives. And then later on, in the end of the chapter, the crowd calls him and says, your mom and your brothers are outside waiting for you. And he says, whoever does the will of the father is my mother and my brothers. So it's, it's mixed. It's, it's very compressed chapter. But the main line that we see here is the opposition. And there are four different kinds of oppositions that I see here. One of them is pure lack of knowledge. Mark says this is the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus being the Son of God. People were taught for 20, 30, 50, 10, 5 years about the Torah and the law. And all of a sudden you've got this guy. They hadn't got a clue about him. So, therefore, because they didn't know him, they opposed him. Second kind of opposition was they had a lack of understanding of Jesus' ministry on earth. Because... They knew that he was the son of God, but they were kind of expecting a different kind of leadership. They wanted Jesus to take over the Roman powers and lead the Jewish people. This was the Messiah. The third type of opposition was pure lack of goodness. They were wicked. They knew everything. They knew the Torah. They knew all the prophecies. They were waiting for the Messiah and simply had hardened hearts and therefore rejected. 
And the fourth, which is pure satanic influence. And we see it here. Now, in the midst of this, what, what is something that we draw from this chapter? You can see that Jesus is under pressure. And he deals with the different groups differently. He grievingly rebukes the Pharisees. He reaches out to the crowd with compassion. He orders strictly the evil spirits. He appoints the twelves. He teaches the scribes about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And also lovingly affirms those that come to the Father. Did Jesus deserve to be rejected and opposed? He was the Son of God. Did he deserve that? Well, humanly speaking, no. And also, humanly speaking, he didn't deserve to be opposed and rejected from people that have been waiting for him for so many years. That they knew that the Old Testament was all about him. What is our response to this passage? The first question is, how, how do I view people? It's easy for me to come to a church on a Sunday and be part of the fellowship. But I just wanted to, to go a little bit further. Am I exempt from becoming a Pharisee? No. Because we've got also our own rules. And some of the rules that we've got are unspoken. Some of the rules that we've got are even unwritten. But I come to church on a Sunday and I sit to chairs because that's how I grew up. The the first thing that I found hard when I came to Cairns Roads, and I'm going to be very honest with you, was sitting around tables. I came in 2008, and uh, I think it was Kaz that was leading a service, and was sitting around tables, and I was like, I haven't come to church to sit in a coffee. When is the first course going to come, and when is meat going to come? <laughs> And then I, I went home very upset, and I said to Ruth that, I promise, I said to Ruth, that if church is anywhere like this, then any Sundays, the moment I see it set up, I'm going home. Why? And then I thought, well, where have I got it in the Bible that we need to sit in chairs? Two songs. Sermon, a song, sermon, intercession. We do intercessions. And then the blessing. 
But it totally crashed my identity, the way I grew up, the way I was taught church was done until I came to Cairns Road. But as I said, this is just a, a very, yeah, simple example. But we all have our unwritten codes, our unwritten rules. And we like things to be a certain way because that's what we used to do in my home church. Or that's how I grew up. And the reason why I say this is that we are not exempt by becoming a Pharisee with little rules. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that for them... Being so strong about their rules, they were preventing the kingdom of God to come, first of all, in their lives, and then to the community. So we are in danger. Because, in one way or another, we're saying to God, you can't do that because I'm a Baptist. You can't do that because I'm Albanian. And Jesus very, very graciously and grievingly says that by these little rules and pieces, you're building up a wall and the kingdom of God, as much as it wants to reach out to you, You're not letting it. How do I view people? I just wanted to encourage that on the note that I said that the hardest thing that I found when I came to Cairns was about the setting up of tables. I've talked several times to the newcomers of people who come for the first time. And there's one thing that they mentioned the first thing, and it's how you guys have made them feel welcome. So well done. There was that Albanian guy that came five weeks ago, and he said, yeah, they were very welcome. Oh, well done. So we are willing to go out of our comfort zone set the church up in chairs and tables and make people come and be themselves and be welcomed. Now, speaking of comfort zone, what is my comfort zone? If we don't like the new look on Facebook, It doesn't matter. If we don't like the way the piano is set up, it doesn't matter. But if we have a hard time accepting the change that Jesus can bring in somebody's life, this is serious. And that's why Jesus is going to talk to the scribes about it. They 
they say, came down and said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. And he called them to him and said them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? Now, let's put this in whole perspective of the history of Israel. You've got God the Father who sends out John Baptist. And he was going to prepare the nation for the Messiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, many people responded to John's call. Remember, he had his own disciples. But Matthew writes something very interesting about John. He says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, Matthew 21, verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you still did not change your minds and believed him. So, you've got people who were involved with sinful things, who embraced the gospel, the good news of the Son of God. And they were the outcasts. And then you had the spiritual leaders who said nothing to do with it. So here comes then Jesus, as he, prom- as he was promised. Then he, Jesus himself calls the nation to trust to him. The same thing, same story. The religious leaders not only rejected him, but plotted to kill him, and eventually they did that. Then comes the Holy Spirit in the Pentecost, day of Pentecost. And he also um, demonstrates God's power in many convicting ways. How did the religious leaders respond? They're all drunk. They arrested the apostles. They commanded them not to speak and mention the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they started killing Saul was one of them who became Paul. And actually, in Acts chapter 7, verse 51 says, you, um, actually, it's, um, it says, you do, all, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. So the sinning against the Holy Spirit was in that manner. They had sinned against the Father. They had sinned against the Son. But when it came to the point of Christ rising again, ascending, Spirit coming, and Holy Spirit witnessing to who Christ was through the apostles, and they rejected it, This was the end of line for them. There could not be more forgiveness because there was no more message and no more messengers like Christ. 
And Jesus has to point this out. As I said earlier on, it's a very intense chapter. Because in one sense, Jesus loves the people that he was ministering to. But on the other hand, he has to reveal their wickedness. This is the good news. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is coming with a new message. He is bringing new life. He is going to bring and provide for people new change. And he is not going to force people to follow him. He's just calling out. Disciples left their nets and followed him. Matthew left the tax office and followed him. So in the face of opposition and rejection, Jesus is very focused even though he's pressurized in what God had called him to do so his mission on earth could be accomplished. I'll leave you with a little homework. Go home and read chapter 3 and see all the characters, different characters, that we're in this passage. And put yourself on that group and see how you're going to read the story in a different perspective. But Mark wants to continue to affirm the authority of the Son of God in the face of opposition and rejection when he did not deserve it Yet, he carried on proclaiming the good news, the gospel, effectively and brought those who responded to himself. And I stand here before you today saying that Christ is calling out still today for people to follow him. And if you hear this message for the first time, or you read that thingy PowerPoint earlier on, I want you to follow me. And you're not sure and you want to talk about it. Talk about it with us. But also, if you've been thinking about following Christ for a long time, and it's that moment that you cannot decide, God says, today is the day of salvation. And I invite you to do the same thing. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that is a kingdom of freedom, grace, and it's not affected by my rules or regulations. Give us the grace needed, Lord, to be faithful to your word, to your calling. And as our lives are changed and transformed by your grace, Lord, may this have an impact on our communities. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 